Well, this morning, I'm very excited about this series. I've done it in different ways over the years, but this morning, we've got a brand new series. You see the front of the worship guide, the new design. It's called The Soul Purpose. And that's what I want to talk to you today about is the, the soul purpose for our lives, to, to be a part of the gospel, to partner with God in evangelism and what that means. And uh, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to start a little differently as they're still getting baskets back to you. I want to talk about some misconceptions today that some people have about evangelism. Because a lot of times people think, well, no, evangelism, that's just for the hired guns. That's just for staff. Well, that, that's not right. But look, these aren't in your notes. You might want to write these down. If you notice today, I'm even in this season where I might even do some of this. It's really hard because I've been preparing these really detailed outlines for 16 years here almost. But I'm thinking about trying to give less. Although I say that next week, and I'm probably going to give you more because there's a lot of steps I want you to get. But it's just kind of fun to see what you take away. Let me give you the first one, misconception about evangelism. Evangelism is a spiritual gift. <clears throat> now, that is a misconception. That it is not a spiritual gift. Now, there's a word that comes from that. It's the word evangelist. And to be an evangelist is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And some have that spiritual gift just like being pastors and teachers and those kinds of things. But evangelism, I want you to write this down if you want to take notes, is a spiritual responsibility of every Christ follower. If you name the name of Jesus, his famous name, he's the famous one in your life, he's your Lord, he's your Savior, then you have a responsibility to pass on the gospel. Now, some people have a, a, a stronger gift of being an evangelist, and, and that's maybe their DNA, their spiritual, but every believer that has the hope in Christ needs to be a part of the witness. The, the Bible says in Acts, and you shall receive power. So we all have the power. All right, let's look at the second one. Church growth and evangelism are the same thing. They are not. There was a great movement in the 70s about church growth. And church growth is good, and church growth is exciting. But church growth, you can have church growth and not have evangelism. But you can't have evangelism and not have church growth. Evangelism is where God regenerates, where he changes the heart. And there's three ways that the church grows biological we we do that good around here okay that wasn't funny all right number number two it could be transfer you transfer in from another local body and that's where the church in montgomery really seems to do well they just transfer from kind of sheepfold to sheepfold and but my favorite why down and i started a church in 96 was conversion that's the third one conversion growth those that get their sins forgiven, those that come to know Christ. Now, we welcome all three, and that's cool. But conversion growth is the goal of the church that we share the good news. The third thing is evangelism is only for those that are adequately trained and prepared. Some people have gone to sleep on that and think, well, I don't have seminary, I don't have a Bible degree, or I haven't done enough Beth Moore Bible studies, or I haven't gone through the Billy Graham School of Evangelism, or I haven't memorized the four spiritual laws, or I, haven't, I don't know the bridge illustration. No, 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 no. I can help you with that. We're, we're going to talk about some of the how-tos and more practical next weekend. But the, the goal here is in Acts chapter 4, write it down, Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It's one of my favorite passages in the book of Acts because there in this particular section, he says, these men are untrained, untaught, unlearned, ordinary men, but they have been with Jesus. You know, I think... I was probably a better evangelist, and I've had the opportunity to travel around the world preaching the gospel. But I think back to my first year as a Christ follower when I really knew very little of God's Word. 
but just had this raw passion just that everybody could get their sins forgiven everybody could go to heaven when they die and everybody could have abundant life and could find purpose and i was untrained but i'd been with jesus and i hope it's no different for you if you're one year old in christ 10 years 50 years old in christ wherever you are on the spectrum here's the fourth one evangelism should be a dreadful painful unpleasant experience no it shouldn't be the bible talks about over in luke 10 if you want to look through 17 through 70 they went out they propagated they proclaimed the good news and as they did they returned home with great joy there is no greater joy for me and it should be for you as a christ follower than when your friends come to faith in jesus christ and the church said that that's exciting that that revs up christ followers but you know what in the church in my world we get around so many that at least profess the name and we don't get around the lost world enough and i pray god's going to push us out the fifth thing one size fits all there's one technique there's one way and that's the way you do it you do not there's a lot do y'all all have the same personality in the room do y'all look the same nope you wear the same clothes every once in a while but no we are unique god has fearfully and wonderfully made us and we have unique expressions and personalities and somebody are saying Oh, that's what you're calling us unique now huh odd peculiar whatever you want to say here that's what people say about me all the time but god gives us unique different personalities that we might express the love of christ to others and what i found the best witness is you going one-on-one -on -one with your friends that you live naturally in community with and you have the platform for the gospel now here's something jeff and i will promise you and i've said this over year after year you come in here on Sunday morning, we will do our best to lift up Jesus Christ over his church and to present the gospel and for your friends to come to Christ. But I still think the greatest way is when you do life with other people in small groups and you begin to live in community and you begin to work with people and you go to school with people and you share your love for Jesus Christ. And the church said, I believe it. It really is. And I just pray that during this series, God's going to ignite our souls. Because I would not ask you, It'd be too embarrassing. When's the last time you shared Christ? When's the last time you led somebody to the Savior? And I just pray God's going to birth something in our soul and there's going to be a purpose like we've never seen because we need to rethink our evangelism style. And we'll talk about that through the next few weeks. We live in a broken world. We have a broken church. We have a broken fellowship. We have a perfect Redeemer. And He restores and He redeems. And I don't know about you, but I find comfort that God loves broken stuff. How about you? God's into broken stuff. He, he goes looking for lost stuff. The parable Luke 15 that Mark preached on several weeks ago, it's the rapid succession parable, three illustrations in a row. God has always been into lost stuff. And I'm always reminded of that when I can't find my keys. If you want to see a prayer warrior, let pastor lose his, his iPhone or let him lose his keys. I pray heaven down. Because, I'm man, it's lost. And as I'm getting older, I'm losing stuff around the office all the time. Cheryl, I hope you're not in here right now. But it's, it's just, I, I can't, sometimes it's sitting right in front of me. Does anybody do that besides me? Okay, well, good. We're, well, maybe we need to have an addiction fellowship group. I don't know. Okay. In this series, we need to rethink our priority. God, because here's the thing. If we get a new thought pattern on uh, evangelism, it literally has the power to change eternity for people. I was a part of this funeral the other day and, every, and just a few weeks ago for another funeral and as more funerals come and as you go to the funerals and as you attend and as people you know love that you are deeply loved by you and they die 
there's always that one question, not how big was their house, how much money did they make, how much reputation did they have, did they know Jesus? Did they know Jesus? And sometimes we just make it so complicated. It's just, do you know Christ? Do you have a testimony? Do you have a title? Or do you have a testimony? And I assure you, we need to have a testimony. Let's, let's begin to look through this, because I'm going to show you a thing here today. First blank, evangelism is an act of obedience. That's, that's what evangelism is. It, it's for every Christ follower, and it's just saying, God, I believe your word, and I will live it out, and I will obey what you say. But evangelism is also, you can write under that, it's an act of compassion. When you and I evangelize our neighbor, when we evangelize others, we're really saying, I deeply am in love with you. I'm concerned for you. I'm concerned about your eternal destiny. I'm concerned about the lack of peace. I'm concerned about the lack of direction. I'm concerned about the brokenness. I'm concerned about the pain in your life. And I know one that can help you with your pain. And his name is Jesus. You know, it's often been said, it's one beggar finding the bread and he tells the other beggar where the bread is. Have you ever noticed when we're hungry and somebody finds the food, don't you get mad if they don't tell everybody? There, there's, there's a great story in Kings, and I won't do the whole story, but basically the camp, they had all of this, these riches in Kings, and, and, and they were, man, they were sitting there, and, and the people had left, so the people went in behind them as they had gone out on a troop or whatever to survey the land, and as they did, they came in, and they started getting all the food and all the trinkets and everything, and then they said, but this is not right. We should go and share this with others. So when you and I find Jesus Christ, when we receive Christ, we, we don't want it to be the big secret. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but big secrets just, you know, why? And especially Christ. He, he's the pearl of great price, and he wants us to share him with other people. Let's continue to move through this. I want you to see this. We don't witness our faith because of, number one, afraid of rejection. I understand. I, I like to be like. I have a need for approval. It's not near as great as it used to be. But we all, I mean, I, most people I know want to be approved. Most people I know want to be liked. I mean, I can kind of understand that. So, and, and when people reject me because of my Christian witness, it hurts my feelings a little bit. Maybe I don't get invited to the party. Maybe I don't get invited to the event. Maybe I'm going to make them feel a little uncomfortable. But let me just get you to write beside that. They're not rejecting you so much. They're rejecting the Savior. And we need to say is my identity Christ? If it is, then I need to be more concerned about his reputation than mine. The second thing is this. We're afraid of embarrassment. We're afraid we're going to be embarrassed because we don't know what to say. Or maybe we're just a little ashamed of Christ and shouldn't be. When we remember our baptism, that's when we declared to the body, we declared to our God, I'm a follower of Jesus and I will follow him hard. But I, I want you to turn today for our main text. I want you to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 4. Can you turn here with me? I have read the Gospel of John, I cannot count the times. I mean, I've read it so many times. I mean, over and over and over. And now I've been, this week, just as soon as I started thinking about evangelism, I have to go to John 4. It's one of my favorite passages about evangelism in the Bible. And I kept reading John 4 and John 4 and John 4, and maybe you're saying, oh, okay, he's going to talk about the woman at the well at Sychar. You're right, good. Some of you know your Bible. Some of you are like, I have no idea what he just said, but he, he said it was in John 4. Okay. I'll help you. It's on page 998, okay, in my Bible. That's probably not going to help you a lot. And, and, and as you look here, there, there's no way I'm going to read the whole passage. So let me, let me just read a part of it. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptized and making more disciples than John. See right there? They're already worried about comparison. 
Jesus and John aren't worried about the comparison. Others are like, well, yeah, you know, he, he lifts more weight than you do. You know, he's got a prettier wife than you do. You know, he, he, lifts, he sells more cars. You know, he does this. He's got more kids than you. You ought to have some more kids. Hey, he baptizes more than that. Whatever, get over that quick. Though Jesus, the Bible says, himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea, returned to Galilee. But he had to have, he had a journey. He had to go through Samaria. On the way, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar. So right there in the middle of Samaria, if you look at a, 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 a regional map during this day, you'll see Sychar. It's near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. I remember going there in 99. It's a powerful place. And Jesus was tired from the long walk, so he sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Now, there's several things I want to just kind of begin to jump into this. Number, in verse 4, I just want you to write this. Jesus deliberately got among lost people. First of all, the shortest route of where he was going was straight through Sychar, through Samaria. But people would go out around the sea and they would walk around because they didn't want to go there with those interracial married half-breeds, the Samaritans. They didn't want to have anything to do with them. And Jesus like, forget that. And he cut right through, but it was a greater thing. Jesus was trying to show that he was going to break down every cultural and every kind of barrier that there was. And it was going to be okay because he was the son of God and he wanted to make this thing right. But here's what I want you to write beside there. Get on their turf. You and I have to get on the turf of lost people. When we get on their turf, there's an opportunity to witness our faith. If we just sit in collective holy huddles in churches or in our Christian offices all the time, we never have the opportunity to expose the life-changing news of the gospel. Somebody came to you. Somebody broke out of their bubble. Somebody invited you to church one day. Somebody invited you to camp. Somebody shared their witness. Somehow you heard. I mean, there's very few exceptions. I mean, Paul, he gets, arrest, you know, he gets knocked out on the Damascus Road and his life's changed. For me, my testimony is I was radically saved in the dorm room by myself. But that is not the testimony of most people. Most people I talked to, there was a... It's like Coach Bethay over here, radical, infectious believer of Jesus Christ. And I've talked to people all the time. Here's the first thing they say about you, Coach. Where'd he go? I just saw him. Is he, isn't your dad in here? Okay, he was sitting here. I, 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 I thought maybe I dreamed it. Okay. Okay, I, I, I'm really, yeah, maybe I need a donut. Okay, here's the deal. So, so I saw him. And, and, and Coach Bethay, here, here's, what, here's what people always say about Coach Bethay. Now, Coach Bethay... Is he the guy with the long hair or the short hair? He's the guy with the long hair. It looks like Jesus. Okay. And then they go, number two, that is the most awesome man. He loves Christ. He has a witness for his Savior. He shares Christ. He lives for Christ. It's just powerful. So you get on the turf of other people. Jesus didn't say, I didn't come for the healthy, but I came for the sick. So that would be all of us that don't have Christ. Then Jesus says, I'm calling you out of the world, but I'm sending you back into the world to call other people out of the world. Huh? What? Jesus is calling us to not be like the world. He's calling us away to, to separate, but he's sending us back into the world, to the turf, that then we might be able to share a gospel proclamation to then call others back away from that lifestyle of sin. And, that, and that's what Christ wants. He just wants you and I to go in on their turf. So it's a powerful concept here. Move on, verse 6. Jesus goes to a most public place. He goes to a well. He goes there to get water. There's several things I've seen about Jesus. Jesus shows his humanity. The Bible says he was weary, he was tired, he wanted a drink. I'm like, well, that's pretty awesome. I mean, you ever get thirsty? Sure you do. Okay, and so he goes there, there's a need. But there's this woman, and, and she, he encounters her, and she's got all kind of grit on her life. I mean, man, she's a spiritual, moral, 
mess. And, and Jesus just goes up and he, he meets her in this public place because she's there at uh, Mount Gerasim where the Samaritans worship because they, don't, they didn't go to Jerusalem. And here's the worst woman in the worst city at the worst time of day at noon. But Jesus takes time to go to where people are and he goes and he makes contact with her. And I want you to keep moving with me. So he doesn't avoid it. He initiates conversation with a woman. And when the guys are they're like, man, Jesus, you're like, hey, you're, you're talking to a Samaritan, to a half-breed. Hey, Jesus, you're, you're talking to a woman. I mean, wh- what are you doing? Now, they're thinking this. They're not going to say it because, I mean, he's the son of God. But you know what Jesus tells you and me? Initiate. You and I have to initiate conversation for the gospel. A lot of times, somebody might ask us. I, I have been in a few settings where people ask me, how must I be saved? I was speaking in a camp one time in Oklahoma, and Man, I'd spoken to a lot of camps, and this was bizarre. We were having this night of worship, and it went from 30 minutes into two hours of worship, and then I would get up to talk, and I'm thinking, man, this is wild. And this is way before I knew a lot about contemporary worship, and I'm standing there, and I'm standing at the back of the thing, and this guy comes running down the aisle, and he's, he's running right at me. And I'm thinking, he's going to hit me. And he runs as hard as he can, and he stops as soon as he gets to me. He goes, sir? I said, yeah, you got my attention. He said, how must I be saved? What can I do to get saved? I said, really? Right now? He goes, yeah, right now. I want to give my life to Jesus. That was so cool. Nobody does that at Christ community, though. People don't just go running down the aisle and ask me, hey, I I, I wish we did. So here it is. Goes to a public place. Initiates conversation. I mean, and here's the other thing, is we initiate conversation with people. You don't just immediately, I don't think, I mean, maybe if God calls you to, you do that. But you don't go up, hey, you're depraved and I'm Keith. How you doing? You need to be born again. Hey, you're a sinner, you're going to hell. I mean, that's probably not the greatest technique to to share your witness for Jesus Christ. We just begin to have a winsome witness and we begin to share, and we'll talk about the power of relational evangelism next weekend, but Jesus cares about it. I mean, or he cares deep about this woman, so he he, he violates the rule. He goes against ceremonial washing and all things. They're all worried about Jesus, you've been infected, you know. Jesus, you've done this. I want you to write this down. In, In John 4, Jesus shows me a great principle in you. The gospel is for every person. It's for everybody. It doesn't matter how many degrees or where you live or who you are or what sex or whatever, what color or what educational makeup or degrees or, or, or what you do or what you, what's your hobby. Jesus just comes for everybody. Let's continue to move. There in verse 10, Jesus begins to go deeper with this person. Look at verse 9. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans, but Jesus did. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? She is blown away by Jesus. And in verse 10, Jesus replied, if you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you the living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. I mean, there's a deep well here. She said, and the well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, you do, think, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? And how can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Now, I love verse 13. But Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within, within them, and it gives them eternal life. That's what Jesus promises here, that they'll have an opportunity or he offers this woman eternal life in himself. And for when you and I get excited about the sole purpose of evangelism, we get the reality that we get to propose, we get to present, we get to be a presenter of the gospel. It's a, it's a privilege, it's an honor, it's a, it's a, 
It's representing the royal court of heaven. It's being an ambassador for Christ. But I want you to look at this. Isaiah 55.1 should come up, I think. Maybe. There it is. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. I love this spiritual truth. If, if you're thirsty, will you, will you come to Jesus? If you're thirsty, will you come and get a drink from him? Like right now, I'm a little thirsty. Matter of fact, let me, I'm not doing this to illustrate, but it works. Thank you. I was getting cotton mouth, and I'm sitting there talking about thirsty, and I'm looking at the water like, you know, you ought to probably follow what you're saying. Okay, so if anyone's thirsty, get a drink. If anyone's thirsty, though, really for life, run to Jesus. Let him come and fill you. Look, you move on through here, verse 12. Jesus is not intimidated by the question of the woman. You know, the woman's like, well, are you greater than Jacob? He's our ancestor, and this is his well, and we, we know the lineage of Jacob and how powerful that is. But are you? And, and here's the principle I want you to think about today. Do you ever get intimidated? I still get intimidated. I've been in Christ a long time. And that's who I have to check who I am in Jesus Christ. And then you're saying, but Keith, I don't even have training like Mark or Jeff or you or some of our elders or other people, and I'm just intimidated. Get past your intimidation and just be with Jesus and share what you know of Jesus. Okay, church? Okay, church? I don't want you to be intimidated. The devil intimidates us. The devil doesn't want you to say anything. Because if you don't say anything, then nothing happens. And I've often wondered how many people never come to Christ because we never open our mouth or we never challenge them. I mean, I'm talking about you and me, people that live in my relational world and yours. And we'll talk about that next week because I just I want to hammer that so we don't get intimidated. Verse 17, you begin to move. Jesus speaks directly to this sin issue. That's one thing about Jesus. Jesus does not beat around the bush and go, you know what? I got a little happy message for you. And I'm just going to tell you everything that tickles your ears, and I want you to feel good, and I want you to go home, and I want you to continue to live in your sin. Blessed be you. Go, woman. Jesus didn't say that. I mean, Jesus knows exactly what's going on with this woman. I mean, the guys are hung up because she's a, she's a woman and she's a Samaritan. I mean, that's a really big deal. She's intermarried into this, and all kind of stuff goes into all, being a Samaritan. But, man, there, there's a lot of sin. And this sin has come up. And so what, what is he? Look, look what he said, verse 15. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, and then I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to get water. So I don't know if she's tapping into the reality of Jesus, but she might be. It sounds good. But then verse 16, Jesus goes, boom. That's what it says in the Greek, boom. No, it doesn't really say that, but it, it could. Okay, look at verse 16. Y'all listen up. This is going to be okay. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Well, Jesus already knew that. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now, and you certainly spoke the truth. Now, if you've never met a person before, and they walk up to you, and they call you out just big time, what would you do? What would you do? It's not rhetorical. You can yell answers back. I hope repent. I hope go, i, I got to change, man. This person knows all about my behavior. Who texted them? Who called them? Who Facebooked my life around? I don't know. I mean, Jesus is dealing with Facebook here. But Jesus speaks directly to the, to the sin issue. And here's what thing he'd say. Woman, you're a sinner. Woman, you're living in sin. This is an abomination. This is wrong. This is against my marriage covenant. This is against who I am. Man, you, you've just been making a mockery of marriage. And now, man, you're really cheaping it. Man, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're living with somebody. Like, man, don't do that. And then verse 20, let's move on down here. So, Verse 19, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. <laughs> Hello. 
So tell me, why is it you Jews themselves that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while Samaritans claim it's at Mount Gerasim, where our ancestors worship? Verse 21, Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through who? The Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and the woman said, the Messiah has come and the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. In verse 26, and then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am. I just I am. The whole passage from Exodus, the Old Testament, here, here's the great I am. I mean, the, the authority of the I am. And, and he speaks, but... You continue to read this thing, and basically the woman thinks she gets it, and then the woman, she walks away, or she runs away, and she begins to tell everybody about this one that she had never met, and he told her all about her past. And she became a missionary. She just began to, to testify of what had happened to her and, and who this Jesus was, and she was just thrilled about it. And, and, and as I'm thinking about this this morning, I'm thinking about God's called us to be a missionary. If we've had an experience with Jesus Christ, Christ calls us to go, to go and tell. The others can come and see. So this woman breaks camp. She leaves the well, and she goes and tells others that they can come and see the Christ who she's talked about. It, there, I want you to write down some styles. Maybe we'll go over them next weekend. We'll see how time goes. But here's six styles, a study I did years ago. Matter of fact, I did it right here in this sanctuary when we uh, built it, and I did this Sunday school at 9 o'clock, and then I'd preach after that. And here it is, number one, write down. There's an invitational style of evangelism. And a model of that would be this woman. You know, she invites others to come and see. There's a serving style. That's from the book of Acts, the woman Dorcas. She's a great servant of God. So there's an invitational and there's a serving style. Then there's the testimonial style, the blind man in John 9. He begins to testify about who Jesus is in his life. And his parents go, hey, you know, he can speak for himself because they, they didn't want to be put out of synagogue. Or, and, and the fourth one is, is the interpersonal style. And that would be, the writer Matthew. We can talk about him a little later. And the fifth one would be the confrontational. Who do you think had the confrontational, in-your-face style of evangelism? Who do you think it would be? Peter. Peter's man. Peter didn't care. Peter just get right in your face and tell you how it was. He was just a great preacher of the gospel. And, 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 the, and the sixth one is the intellectual approach. And that'd be the Apostle Paul. He had that great learned mind, education, understanding had a grasp of the gospel. He's the one accredited for the book of Romans, that great section of scripture that is just so rich. You could just study Romans till you die and you still wouldn't get it, but it's awesome. Let me get you to this, Matthew 5, 13. Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It's thrown out and trampled underfoot. It's worthless. Here it is. You and I are salt, and there's a flavor attached to your life and mine. And salt makes you thirsty and i just want to ask a question do you and i make others thirsty for jesus do we repel others to jesus do we make christ look bad do we make christ unattractive because of the life we're leading or are we is there a lot of hypocrisy in our life i'd say at some point we've all got hypocrisy but is hypocrisy a dominating value or is there opportunity do people see a repentant lifestyle in us so we have that flavor we 
Becky Manley Pippert, Don and I heard her years ago. I love Becky Manley Pippert. She wrote a great book, Get Out of the Salt Shaker. And she just goes, and, and to me, it's just an analogy, get out of the church. Just get out of the walls of the church and go share the gospel and make people thirsty for him. And then in John 3 and 19 through 21, I think it's going to come up on the screen, it begins to say in 19, it says, and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light has come into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm finding that to be true today. People still love darkness more than they love the light because the light does what? It, it exposes us. It, it shows us for what we are. Go on there in verse 20. All who do evil hate the light. They refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. And God already knows in verse 21. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Here, here it is. A, a contagious Christian, a contagious witness illuminates. Write that down. If you are in love with Jesus this morning, your life should reflect, it should illuminate the gospel. It should illuminate, it should magnify, it should lift high, it should be increasing values and depths of the Savior. You know, it's, it's, it's what my life is, to live as Christ, to die as gain. It's the greatest joy to make this my pursuit in life. And for many of you, you're doing the same thing, and some of you are still kind of may straddle the fence, or maybe some of you have not come to faith in Christ, and I pray, come into the light, bring illumination. And then I was doing some study on this, and I ran across this thing from Ron Hutchcraft. I used to listen to Ron a lot when I was a student pastor, just a great teacher of the Bible, great illustrator. And he had this thing, I, I never really seen, it's from Colossians chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles, you might turn over to Colossians chapter 4. And it's the, a section there, verses 3 through 6. And I'd encourage you to maybe draw a box in, in your Bible, but I want to show you some things here. There's this thing he says here, Lord, I pray that you will open a door. Open a door. Ask Jesus to open a door for you. I didn't ask you to push through the door or, or beat people up. Jesus, open a door for me to talk to a lost person. And then I, I'd say, and open the, the person's heart. And when you say that person I want you to write in there, who is that person? Jesus, open a door, an opportunity. Now, Jesus, open their heart. Open their heart to hear and to receive and to believe. So you open a door, you open a heart, and then you have to ask Jesus. Now, Jesus, this is hard, Jesus. Not, it's not hard for Jesus, it's hard for us. Jesus, now open my mouth. Open my mouth that I'll freely proclaim who you are. And as we begin to pray with real names, and, and, and we realize here that this is the divine process of God, that we have never persuaded anybody to come to Christ. We present Christ, but you know who the persuader is? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit begins to draw them to, to come to the Savior. And, and you know, uh, you know I, I don't know what it is, years ago, I always thought it'd be fun to share Christ on airplanes because I never see them again. No, I just, I just thought it'd be great just to share Christ on airplanes. And, and I've got a lot of stories about sharing Christ on airplanes and some people coming to Christ and some people like would move out of their section to another section. And, and, uh, but just uh, last June when I, when I got crazy for a night and, and Don and I bought a car on eBay. And uh, no, it, was, it ended up being a, it's a good story. It's, it's not like one of my bad stories. But on the way out there, I was praying, God, I'm going out there, you know, you give me this great deal, but God, I want to share the gospel. I, I want my life to count. And I also was getting ready for the weekend, so I took some notes with me, and I was studying, and I was sitting on the airplane. And there was this woman sitting next to me. And, uh, 
And uh, she keeps, you know, you always know when they're, when they're kind of, you, know, you ever know when people are staring at you, you know, and, and she's doing this, and, and, and I just couldn't stand anymore, so I finally just closed it. <laughs> she goes, uh, are you busy? Uh, no, no, what do you want to talk about? She goes, are, are you like a preacher? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am. What was your guess? I mean, I, you know, I think my Bible said Pastor Keith, I don't know. But anyway, but she saw, she saw me, she goes, well, I want to talk to you. I said, yeah, and we started talking about matters of faith. And we had the most incredible flight from Birmingham to Houston, not a long flight, and just begin to share the hope of Christ. And, and it, I, didn't, I don't have the story of leading her to Jesus Christ. That's happened other times. But this woman, she had a tremendous challenge in her life, and, and God had answered my prayer. He'd opened the door of the gospel for me to share with somebody. He'll do the same thing for you. I just think, how many of us are asking, God, give me open doors. God, give me divine appointments. I, how many of you believe if you ask God for an open door for a divine appointment, God will give them to you? Now, how many of you are asking for him? Oh, no, he might, he might give me one. It's like, why I don't pray for patience? I never pray for patience. I don't. And when you say you're praying for patience, I run. And people laugh, but I, I'm serious. I, I will tell my family sometimes, like, Hannah, are you praying for patience? Yeah, Dad. No! No, because I get to get involved, too. I don't want it. Are you praying for, like, you know, if you're praying for favor, let me know. I'm coming, I'm coming to your house. I mean, you live at my house. I'm coming up to your room. I'm coming to see you. But patience. And so I believe that, I believe I have a relationship with God. I know I have a relationship with God. And when I talk to God, God hears my prayers. And sometimes he answers. And sometimes he does it favorably in the way that I like. He always does it in the way he likes. But it's a beautiful thing when God begins to do. And here's, here's the point. What are you asking to God for? Are you asking God for your witness to be greater? Church, this is the deal. It's pretty obvious we're not asking for many divine appointments because I think if we do, I think this place would fill up for the glory of God. How about you, church? Montgomery is not going to heaven. It's just not. There are, there's a lot of religion in Montgomery, Alabama. It makes me sick. And I say that with brokenness. I love this city. I had the privilege of growing up here. But it is one religious community. And I'm praying for the kingdom of God to be ushered in, that the people have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that comes from us sharing the gospel. Not, man, what church do you go to? Man, that's, that's an awesome church. They got, a, they got a water slide in the back. That is awesome. Man, if you go to that church, wow, man. I heard they got angels at Christmas that come dancing on a wire across the ceiling. That's cool. Hey, man, I heard they've got 32,000 of this. Man, that's awesome. What do y'all got? We got a gravel parking lot. Yeah. Got an amazing worship team. Yeah. We got a weird pastor. Well, yeah, that ain't helping you. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm doing the best I can. I just want you to share your witness for Jesus. Is anybody catching a little bit of the passion here this morning? Just where people receive Christ. They believe Christ. They follow Christ. Because I'm going to tell you guys, this stuff matters. I've given my life to it. Will you give your life to it? Colossians, God, open doors. Oh, I'm way off notes. Oh, here we go. All right, here we go. I like what Charles Wesley said. When you set yourself on fire, people just love to come watch you burn. I've noticed that. Over the years, people are like, man, you spit, you have bubbles, you have passion, you love God. Love God. Like, whatever that means. I don't know if it makes them religious or what. And like, man, we want to watch you because you use your hands and you believe it and you testify. And you, I do. 
but people want to watch you burn, but I pray people want to watch you burn because you're consumed with Jesus Christ and he's making a difference in your life. So the question is, how contagious is your witness? Or is your evangelism hollow? Because when God is doing something in your life, you want to share it with other people. And other people want to know, what is it that makes you tick? What is it that makes you different? Why do you think Tim Tebow has become such a sensation? He's certainly a great athlete, but he's certainly not the greatest athlete. But he's a great athlete. I know know girls, and he's a hunk, okay? But his love for Jesus Christ blows everybody away. They don't know what to do with him. And I love it. Listen to this, Psalm 90, verse 12. Write it down, Psalm 90, verse 12. The message renders it this way. Teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. Help us to spend them as we should. Here's what I'd say to you this morning. There is a, a pastor I've just started following. I, I've known him for years, but I just started watching him a little bit. I like him. His name is Kerry Shook. He makes me feel really good about myself. He has no hair. He's completely bald-headed, okay? And, uh, and he's got this huge church in, in the woodlands in Texas. Maybe you've seen him in the mornings. And he wrote this book several years ago, One Month to Live. And everybody was reading the book and copying the book, and they were doing series on the book. And I started to do it. I just didn't do it. I should have. It's, it's a great book, and the series have been phenomenal. God's changed life. But the whole premise is, what if you had one month to live, what would you do? And some of you go, well, I know what I'd do. I'd go to Krispy Kreme every day because my cholesterol wouldn't matter, and every time the donuts flash, I'd be at Krispy Kreme. Amen. Put me down. I want to go with you. And, man, I'd quit kicking my dog because, you know, I need to be nice. And then I'd be nice to my wife or my husband. Hey, that'd be good. And you know what? I might even give a tithe for a month because, you know, I'm dying anyway. Well, all right, well, that's good. And, hey, and I would do this, and I would do that. And I hope in that list you'd go. But I would begin to share the gospel. I'd begin to share it with people that I know and love, realizing I ain't got a lot of time to waste. And outreach would become contagious and i just think about our conversations would they would they increase would we seize the day would we seize the opportunities to share christ if we knew we had one month to live it's a great question just ask yourself if i had one month to live what would i do you'd, you'd get rid of unforgiveness i hope you'd get rid of bitterness you'd get rid of some dumb stuff in your life i hope and you would begin to let it hopefully reflect christ let's move here to the perfect moment have you ever noticed this? Lee Strobel said, we always look for the perfect moment to share the gospel, but it always seems to be elusive. And I thought about that often. If you see, I'm going to talk next weekend about being a relational model. That's my style of evangelism. I'm, I'm training all the models and have done all the models, but my favorite is relational. But there's a danger in relational evangelism, let me tell you, for me and for you. When you so focus on relational evangelism, because I think there's a, a balance the, the pushy, obnoxious people, I got, I got to tell you, that ain't my style either. And, and they kind of turned me off. And, and I, had, I was talking to a guy yesterday, he goes, man, those pushy, obnoxious Christians that just, man, that's all they do is just, turn or burn, man. And then they smile, like, turn or you're going to hell. I mean, that just doesn't fire people up about coming to the Savior, okay? But there might be a time to do that. But when people just stay so relational, it always escapes them. I think there's a time where, like yesterday, I'll give it to you. John Matu, you saw this yesterday. I'm down there landscaping with my family and some people, and then they, sit, and then they promoted us. Then we went and got to paint bathrooms. Boy, that was a joy. Okay, but, uh, but we were outside, and there was this guy, and I didn't know where he was from. I said, hey, what's your name? He goes, my, my name's Rick. Hey, I'm Keith. How you doing? Here's just my opening question. Where do you go to church? It's a great question in Montgomery, Alabama, because everybody goes to church. Here's what he told me. Well, he was embarrassed. Put his head down. Well... 
I don't really go to church. He said, I went for the first time in 15 years, Easter Sunday. My head lifted up. Really? And then I found out he's in a relationship that was somebody on the job, and, and they're sharing with him. And I just was starting to build a bridge. And I hope I get to see this guy again, because I, I didn't feel compelled that time to cold cock him with the gospel. I just, I just wanted to kind of come alongside and just get to know about him. He's a hard worker, too, man. I like this guy. I'm glad I didn't take him off. Or I, we'd have been in trouble in there. You know what I'm saying, Jeremy? He was a good worker in the bathroom, wasn't he? We, we, that sounds funny. We were painting the bathroom, okay? Anyway, so this guy. Here's all I'm trying to make the point to us. Sharing the gospel. We come alongside people, and we ask God to do what? Open the door, open their heart, and third, open our... Now, are y'all listening? What is it? Open what? Open the door, open their heart, and open their mouth. Write those three points down. Those are good. Like, well, yeah, I'll put it in a book. No, I don't want you to put it in a book. I want you to practice this. God changes. Listen to 1 Peter 3.15 quickly. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. One translation says, always be ready to give the reason for the hope which you profess that you have. And if Jesus Christ is your eternal hope, if Christ is your source of strength, if Christ is your forgiver, if Christ is your redeemer, if Christ is your healer, be prepared to give an answer. Josh, I just thought about you, man. Right now, you have got a new heightened opportunity to talk about the greatness of God with your healing. And I know some of you are saying, well, dude, I'm not praying I get brain surgery so God can increase my things. But I'm going to tell you, I think God's going to use Josh in new and measurable ways. I'm praying that for you, Josh, that there's an anointing in your life and that God allows you to share Christ and the power of what Christ is doing in you. Isn't that awesome? I talked to a guy the other day. They thought somebody in his family might have cancer. He says, whether we have cancer or we don't have cancer, may Jesus Christ be exalted above all things. Isn't it awesome? So I'm like, well, man, I don't know about who you're hanging around, man. God had brain surgery and cancer. Hey, man, how about people got raises? How about people got bonuses, man? I, I, I want to hang around them. I don't want to hang around people that are hurting. What did Jesus say? Came? I came for the healthy? Nope. Came for the sick. Wow. Man, this is firing me up. Okay. So Peter at Pentecost, he gives the authority of the Scripture. He uses the Scriptures to share the Gospel. He uses the Scripture. Here's all I'd say to you. Memorize a few Scriptures. Memorize some passages out of Romans or out of John. I'll, I'll be going over some of those next weekend. It's just good to have some in your heart that you could not have to. Now, wait a minute. I've never done this before, so hold on a minute. Uh, it says, now bow your head, and it says, you are a sinner. Now, those presentations are not the most powerful. I have seen some people lead people to Christ like that, but not many. Uh, I would encourage you to get familiar with the gospel and be prepared to share the gospel and always be ready. In, in the scripture, when it says always be ready, the Greek word is apologia. And the word comes out, apologetics. Always be ready to defend and give a hope for the gospel. In other words, make your case. We have lawyers in our church. They know how to have closing arguments. They know how to present their case. I pray God would do that with us as believers, that we would begin to know how to make our case for Christ. So there's a basic plan of salvation. Just write these down real quick. Number one, know your need. Know you have a need. Romans 3.10. Know there's a need. Secondly, know there's a penalty. Romans 6, 23. 
For the wages of sin are death, and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then third, know the provision. Know the provision. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Fourthly, know how to respond. I love that passage in John. John would say it this this way, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God to those who received. I pray this morning maybe this just encourages or refreshes you about the gospel and you'll hang with me in the Soul Purpose series, but do you know Christ? Have you received Christ? Nobody can do it for you. You have to do it personally. Have you invited Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? I want to just share this real quick. Don't wait too late. We can't pray people into heaven after they're dead. Don't wait till they're on their deathbed and maybe they're in a coma or they're not conscious. But while they're having life and while they're doing life at the coffee pot or you're doing projects together, you're going to school, you're playing a ball. When the Holy Spirit opens the door and He opens the heart and He opens your mouth, Say, this is why I believe. This is what Christ has done for me. He's my Lord. And then see if they would be be ready to respond. I just believe Christ is going to do something in this series. How about you, church? The sole purpose of the gospel. We can be evangelists together, and we can make a difference. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, for the quietness of this room, for the sobering reality that jesus still saves he's mighty to save and yes lord maybe somebody wandered in here today or maybe their heart's been cold and they've said you know today i believe the gospel i believe that christ died for me but i've never received him would you receive jesus christ would you cry would you call out to him and say jesus have mercy on me jesus save me would you come into my life would you invade my heart today change me Cover me by your blood. Become my Savior, my Lord. Would you do that? If you've done that today, man, I hope you'll come and share that with me or the prayer team or one of the elders or maybe somebody sitting next to you. Go, hey, today I received Christ. What do I do next? We'd invite you to come and go public and be baptized, and we'd invite you to come and share and plug in and begin to grow. This awesome gospel is an awesome God. Father, thank you for what you've done by your Holy Spirit. Lord, give us spiritual guts and courage to open our mouth. Somebody needs to hear. Everybody in this room, there's somebody in their life that needs to hear about Jesus. Equip us, empower us, and send us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.